Hey, I want you to open your Bible with me. We're going to carry on in the Word. We've, uh, I want to build a bridge today just between where we were looking at the mandate, the kingdom mandate we have. So we'll pick that up now, Matthew 28. And I want to just bridge over to where the church is moving on the John Bevere series, Undercover. So let's just have a look here. We want to carry on. We look at kingdom authority. Kingdom authority. So Matthew 28. Let's have a look in chapter 28. Matthew 28. I love this. The great suggestion Jesus gave the church. Here we go. It says in verse 18 through to 20. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some even then doubted. Imagine that. A man's risen from the dead and you're looking and talking to him and you're still full of doubt. And it says here, and Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, all authority. How much authority? All authority. That's the power to govern and rule. All authority and power to govern and rule. All authority is given to me. How did he get it? He got it by obedience to the will of the Father. He now has position where all authority. So everything is subject to him. We don't see that yet. We see and live in a world where not everything is subject to Jesus, but one day will be. And so in the meantime, he has all authority. He's the absolute Lord over all of the creation. He's the one who holds absolute rule. No one can restrain him. No one can challenge him and say, why do you think you're doing this? No one can even hold back the day of their death. No one. He has absolute and total authority. He is a king and he has a kingdom and we are part of that kingdom. We're born into his kingdom. We are sons of the living God. It's fantastic. So he's the absolute Lord. And he came, of course, to reveal what the Father is like and then to restore to us our relationship and our understanding that as a son and a child of God, he calls us to make a difference in the world. You're called to make a difference. You're called to bring something of heaven into the earth, the character, what God is like, and also the life and power. See, and so it's a fantastic thing. Now notice here what he says. He gives a great mandate. Now he spoke to them and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now go, go therefore and make disciples of a handful of people in each region in New Zealand. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say go and, and have, a, have a small thing. He said, go and have a real big thing. Real big. God is really big. Go and disciple all nations. That's a big vision. All nations, all peoples, all countries. Next year, I go up to Mongolia. So we'll be going out to another nation. Mongolia is situated between China and Russia. And uh, one time, Mongolia ruled all of Asia. Now, it doesn't rule. It's a kingdom that has diminished. And now we'll be receiving something of the kingdom of God. It's going to be wonderful. But this is the vision God has, all nations, all nations. Or nations. See, the problem is we get a mindset, and we think in terms of church, of a handful of people, God is thinking of nations, multitudes, big, big, big. You've got to keep thinking big. If you think this is big, you're not thinking big enough. Definitely not. There's 120,000 odd people in, in Hawke's Bay, and if there's five or 600 here, it's definitely not big. See, big is when you've got most of the people in the region saved. That's big. Yeah, Paul says in Paul's day, all of Asia heard the gospel. That's big. 
See, we've got a real challenge. So all nations, so baptize, go and speak uh, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe or obey all things I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. Now notice this, that Jesus has given a mandate. The mandate is to go. The church is called go, go, go. You've got to watch out that we don't have a message, come, come, come. The church's message is go, 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 go into the schools. Go into the government. Go into the uh, areas of art and culture. Go into the media. Go into every area. Funny thing about the church is when people start to go there, the church gets in an uproar and say you shouldn't be there. This is nonsense. Creativity came from God. The church should be there. Government came from God. The church should be there. Education came from God. The church should be there. See, this is where the church needs to realize we've got a mandate to go into the world. A mandate. A mandate isn't a suggestion. A mandate is a directive from a king to his ambassadors. A mandate is a directive given by a king to his ambassadors. Every believer has a mandate to go, to go into the earth. Now, for some, that may mean we go out to nations. And I love to get people from our church into nations. But for all of us, we're called to go as an ambassador, as a representative of God, and advance his business. And whatever trade you're in, that's his business. Become great at it and become excellent at what you do and influence people through it. Whatever your trade is, whatever gift you've got, develop them and then become great. Become outstanding. Become excellent at it. And then people look and they don't see poverty. They don't see meanness. They see generosity, excellence, and a serving spirit. They're really near to the kingdom of God. See, those are the things that really count. And then when they see you pray for people and things happen, then they understand there's a God who is really different. See, so we're called to go. Go to all the nations, teaching them uh, not only to, uh, to make, it says to make disciples of them or to not just get people to come to the front and make a decision, but to radically alter their lifestyle so they also become ambassadors. So our mandate is not just to have people come to meetings or just have people make decisions. Our mandate is that people's lifestyle changes, become a follower of Christ, and begin to represent him and establish his way. His way is better than any other way. In every area, God's ways are better than anything you'll find on the earth. It's just we need persuading of it sometimes. You have a look at when marriages are operated God's way, it's excellent. When families are raised God's ways, it's excellent. When young people keep themselves for God, holiness is excellent. It's not a goofy thing, it's a good thing. See, when people do business well and God's hand is upon their life and upon what they do, this is excellent. Speaks. No corruption. Something different about the way you work and operate. See, we're called to go out to all nations. I love it. Our mandate's global. It's not a suggestion. It's given by a king to his ambassadors. Or a mandate is a command given by a superior court to a lower court. How about that? So whatever way you look at it, we have a, a mandate, not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. See, it's a mandate. It's something for us to do. I love it. And so to believe the gospel means you actually align your life to do it. And that's what Jesus is interested in. Now let's go and have a look at, uh, and we're going to have a look at Matthew 16, where Jesus talked about the kingdom and the church. So the mandate of going forth is, is, it's a purpose, not a preference. It's a command, not a suggestion. Let's have a look at Matthew chapter 16. 
We go back to where we were last Sunday when the visiting speakers came, Sunday before when I was speaking. Let's just go back again because there's a lot in there and we just pick up some aspects of it. I want to just talk a little bit about the kingdom and the church. Sometimes people get them confused. And uh, let's have a look what Jesus said. And Jesus said in verse 13, he came uh, to his disciples. He asked his disciples saying, who do men say I am? Or what's people's opinion about me? And, uh, the, and, some say, and they said, some say John the Baptist and some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So he said, who do you say I am? What's your belief or your opinion? Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, the devil won't be able to hold out against the believing church. And he said, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples they should tell no one he was Jesus the Christ. Because it wasn't the right timing. There's a timing in everything. So the first thing you find, there's revelation of several things. First of all, there's revelation in here of the king. Notice he asked for their, what do men say? What What is the opinion of people? Now, lots of people got opinions about who Jesus is. Oh, he's another good man. He's another prophet. He's just someone who does great things, or he was the founder of Christianity. But uh, Jesus is not interested in opinion. Say, our opinion doesn't change what is fact and reality. And so uh, we need to understand that a lot of opinions, but Peter got a revelation of who he is. Now, a revelation means it was put into his heart by the Spirit of God. It, when, you, when, when you don't know Jesus Christ, you're just another person. And what he had was God spoke into his heart and made known who Jesus is. The knowledge, listen to this, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's like, requires revelation by the Spirit of God. That's not just for your initial salvation, but if you really want to know what he's like. The Holy Spirit is sent into the world to make him known. And you need, every one of us, we're, we're called not just to come into a first encounter with him, but to get to know what he's like. If you don't know him as a healer, you can never present him as a healer. If you don't know him as a deliverer, you can never present him as a deliverer. If you don't know him as a savior, you can never present him as a savior. If you don't know him as a provider, you can never represent him as a provider. And so in every area of life, we need revelation of what Jesus is like. We need to see him what the Bible tells us he's like, but it's got to become reality. If you're a rejected person and you've lived all your life with rejection and you believe I'm not acceptable, you need revelation to your heart to change that belief. See, otherwise you'll come to Jesus and yet you'll still struggle as to whether you're accepted. And then you'll live in defeat as a believer because you actually haven't had it revealed to your heart yet that he is the one who makes us totally acceptable. See, uh, it was, came out in the communion just concerning the prodigal son and how the, when he came back to the father and how the father totally embraced him, sins, faults, failures and all, made him welcome and gave him positioning. 
Now, that's a revelation. You may have read, heard the story this morning, but it needs to be a revelation to our heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do it. I've got to ask God to show me these things. Okay? Now, uh, if you want to know Jesus as the one who works miracles, not one in the Bible historically who worked miracles, but if you want to know him as the miracle worker today, you need the Holy Spirit to reveal it. it's got to become faith in our heart. You see, I believe most believers here would believe God does miracles. That's not the issue. Here's the issue. The issue is, will he do miracles through me? And that's revelation is needed for that. You need to know who he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Peter got a revelation of who Jesus was. He got a revelation of Jesus, a revelation of what he's like. And of course, we need to continually have that. He got a revelation that he's a king. He's the king and the Lord. He said, you're the, 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 the anointed, the anointed one, the son of the living God. He, he was revealed him. This is who Jesus is. He's not just someone, take it or leave it, Jesus. This is a Jesus, the Lord. This is a Jesus who is God's anointed representative in the earth. This is Jesus that all nations will bow the knee before. This is who he is. And that we, need, we need to have that revealed to us to become a live, living truth. Second thing Jesus revealed to him was about the church. And you notice what he said. Uh, he said, upon this rock or upon the rock of revelation who I am, I will build my church. I'm glad Jesus said he'll build it. So when he says he's building his church, what exactly is he's building? Well, of course, you see there that word church. Well, if you come from a certain kind of background, you'll think, oh, he's going to build his church. We think a nice building with steeple and stained glass windows. For you, that's church. Or uh, maybe you've come from a different kind of background and you think he'll build his church. You think, dear God, give me nothing to do with it. You see a handful of old ladies in the back of some old building and there's nothing happening and there's no life and there's no next generation. You think, well, give, I don't want anything to do with that. See, so all of us, when we hear the word church, have a mentality about what God is building. And it's based primarily on what the culture has represented the church to be like and what our own experience. See, if you were raised like I was in a situation with religious orders and so on, then you had certain mindsets about what the church was like. It's mainly about don't do this, don't do that, don't do something else. You understand? So we come with concepts or opinions, and we need to see what Jesus said the church really is. See, when we ran these meetings the other night, we had a whole heap of people come in, and some of them, oh, it was like that, oh, this is a church. Oh, what kind of church? Tell me about this. I got to, I'd like to come. You see, because it just blew away their concepts of church. See, they looked at the building. Now, the building is not the church. The people are the church. But the building reflects what's in the heart of the people. So when I go and I see a church building that's run down and everything's run down and there's no excellence, no serving, this represents a people who are defeated. They don't represent the church of the living God. They represent everything people hate, which is religious defeat. You see, Jesus said, the word he uses, the word ecclesia. He said, I will build my ecclesia. Now, of course, we look at it and think, what the heck is that? Oh, okay, translate it for me. All right, let's have a go. We'll say church. Oh, okay, a handful of old people running a little wee bazaar out there raising a few bucks. Come on, you get ideas. But Jesus said, I'll build my... Now, to the people who are listening, when they used the word ecclesia, they knew exactly what he's talking about. Because they were in a Roman culture. 
which had been, which followed the Greek culture. And the Greek culture, which was a democratic culture, the ecclesia were a people, a group of people who were called out. The word ecclesia means called out ones. They were called out like we would elect a government. They were called into a place where they actually governed and represented whoever was in charge. So in the, uh, in the, for the Romans, the ecclesia then represented the governing body under the emperor. Think about that. It was a governing body. It was to actually act in close consultation with the emperor in order to outwork in the nation the designs and desires of the emperor. We'd probably The nearest we'd call it would be caucus. Now, don't start to suddenly oppose certain mentalities and attitudes. Just think of its role. Just think there, you have a prime minister, you have a caucus, a governing group who consult together and have insights no one else has and outwork it in governing a nation. That is what Jesus had in mind. He had in mind a people who would have intimate access to him because they are family. And out of that intimate access to him, they would be able to bring forth his life into the world. Healings, deliverances, provisions, creativity, community advancement, health advances, education advances. He had that in mind. Why did he have that in mind? Because that's what God always had in mind, right from the beginning. Always a people to represent him as his ambassadors in the earth. So when he's thinking of the church, these are people who are called and invited to come into that. Now, of course, whether you come into that's another thing. But when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, called him your savior, you were then positioned to be raised up to intimacy of counsel with him and to be able to represent him in your field of life. Think about that. That's your call. That's what the church is about. And you notice the church is just the vehicle which has a purpose. I will build my church. I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom. In other words, he said, it's all about my kingdom advancing into the nations. And so you need to have a kingdom mentality. Now, Jesus said he'll build his church. So we don't have to worry about building the church. What we need to do is about advancing the kingdom, which means mentalities and attitudes and values. This is why having a value of excellence, having a value of serving, having a spirit of worship, having the anointing and presence, this is all the kingdom. People come in. It speaks for itself. Poverty always has a, it shouts out, keep away. But excellence, always, generosity always attracts. And so we're, we're called to advance the kingdom. So you notice every believer is called an, a son of God or a child of God and an ambassador. You are an ambassador. You didn't choose to be. You were called to be. You are one anyway. You're either a good one or a poor one. Just think about that one for a moment. See? So every believer is called to intimacy with the Lord and then to discover purpose. And then corporately, we begin to express the purpose in the community. So we need to belong to local church. So corporately, our voice can come together to make a bigger difference corporately than we ever could individually. See, so God has something to do through you every day of the week, 24-7, and then corporately through us, see? And so through us, you know, this year, probably 40,000, 50,000 people will hear the gospel, be ministered to, be touched by who? By us. You say, well, I didn't do that. Oh, yes, you did. You were a part of it. It was what we did. It's not what I do. It's not what someone else has done. It's what we have done. We 
have done these things. We touched hundreds of families this week. We touched hundreds of lives last week. And next week, we will touch thousands of lives. Miracles will flow and bring deliverance and heal all kinds of things. And we will have done it. And this is our business. Sons of the king. Sons and daughters called to represent God. Man, that's why, you, that's why prophets are always on about getting near to God. Because God wants you to understand what he's, what he's like so we can represent him better. That's what holiness is about. Cleaning up our lives so we become more like God wants us to be so we can represent him better. That's why we have uh, things to clean up our lives. Okay. Notice another thing he gave was revelation of kingdom authority. He says, I will give you keys of the kingdom. Key is authority to access and to operate. A key gives you authority to access something and operate. So I don't have many keys and uh, I don't really feel like I need them. So I actually have no keys to except the front door. I like that. I don't, because someone else can have the keys. They have the authority to go there. I don't need to go there. It's not my business to have keys to everything. I don't need that. But there are some things I need keys for. My car. It's a horrible thing if you've got a car and no key. Or you've lost the key. Well, healing needs keys to make it operate. Deliverance needs keys to make it operate. Prosperity needs keys to make it operate. Good marriages take keys to get it to operate. Good families take keys to get it to come right. See, wherever you are in life, there are keys you need to make it work, to bring what God does into the earth. Because it's good. It's always good. You don't find any unhappy families in heaven. You find them on the earth. And we're to bring the keys of why they're all happy in heaven into the earth. Come on, think about this. So he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. So he said, I'll give you keys. And what you have your bind there should be bound also in heaven. So keys are the knowledge and the legal right to actually make things happen. I want to touch on with you some keys. Now, we need to understand our authority as a believer. And you'll see how I'm going to connect this in a moment. You need to realize that as a believer, God has already entrusted you some authority. And what I like are credit cards. How many like credit cards? Credit cards can be terrible or they can be really good. Right? I've got a couple. If you lose one, you know what I was fearful when I lost one, when my wallet was stolen? I was concerned someone would use it illegally because there was an authority with the credit card to make certain things financial happen. So I had to immediately ensure no one could operate with my credit card unlawfully. Of course, Jesus wants to entrust you a credit card too. It's called his name. In my name, you shall do mighty works. He wants us to learn how to access heaven and do things in his name. Okay? Now, the devil does them unlawfully. The devil stole Adam's authority and does a lot of things unlawfully. You and I are the lawful ones to operate in the kingdom. We're the ones called to do things and to do them right. And so using keys of faith, faith gives us access to God. The name of Jesus gives us ability to draw heaven's resources into the earth. But we have to be positioned for that to happen. Let me give you some things God gives you authority to do. Now, the funny thing is, you all got authority to do this stuff, but whether you do it or not, well, it depends on whether you have the key of knowing how. So you have authority to bring the Holy Spirit into any place you go. You have authority to invite God's presence any place you are. 
You say, well, it's really oppressive there. Well, you've got the authority to invite the presence of God to come. Change all of that. Don't complain that the place you work and live has got a bad atmosphere. Change it. You're called to change it. See, we are given authority to bless. Well, of course, we're used to that religious blessing. No, no, to bless means to speak creative, faith-filled, empowered words that bring changes in people's lives. Release creative words over people. Speak into their lives, destiny, to release peace that's tangible and changes. Let me give you an example. I I had to do a funeral for uh, a family member in the church and they, uh, the mother was unsaved and committed suicide. That's about as bad as you get. And uh, she'd cut her wrists in the bath. That's really bad. And so the funeral was held down at the crematorium. And I went down there and I had two people from the church. It might have been Bruce and Marlene. And anyway, they came down to do a, put a bit of music to try and we, we needed to create some atmosphere because I got to do this funeral service for a suicide in, of an unsafe person in a crematorium. That's not a very nice place to be. Of course, you go in there, and it's just oppressive with spirits of grief and all kinds of... So anyway, we go in there, and we, we begin to walk, and I just begin... They're, they're setting up their instruments and guitar and the keyboard and whatever, and I just began to walk, begin to pray, and, as, and then suddenly the Holy Ghost came on me, and I felt the presence of these demons in there of grief and despair and death, and, and, I, I stu- and immediately I just suddenly reacted and went, in Jesus' name, I command those spirits to go, and poof, the atmosphere shifted just like that. You could feel the change. People that came with me were quite surprised. Whoa, what happened? Now, at that funeral, presence of God came so strong, you could hardly believe that this was like it, like normally for a situation like you'd ever want to be in really bad shape. But the presence of God and the love of God came so wonderfully, you almost forgot what we were really on there about. Just God came, you see? See, but if I didn't know how to shift that, those demons would have stayed there and dominated the atmosphere and made it for it to be a miserable time. Now, so we have authority to speak words that change atmospheres, affect people's lives, release giftings in them. Fathers can bless their sons and daughters. Fathers and mothers can bless their family. You can bless the people around you instead of cursing them and speaking negatively of them, criticizing them and running them down and swearing at them. What's this going to do? You're just releasing demons. We're not called to release demons. We're called to release the Holy Ghost and angels. You've got to learn how to do it. You have authority to do it. You were called to do it. And if you're the only believer there, you must do it. Or you're giving up and letting it all go to the devil. Probably justifying it by saying, oh, well, they're all sinners. They deserve what they get. This is not the heart of God. See, you're, you're authorized to pray for the sick and see them healed. We're authorized to break bondages where people have been cursed and to set them free. We're authorized to do that. You were authorized to do that. Who authorized you? Jesus did when he gave you the mandate to go out and make disciples. You can't do that unless you can deal with the demonic and break the curses and set people free and pray for the healing and bless them. You're authorized to pray for people to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You're authorized do all kinds of things in Jesus' name. But if you don't know what you're authorized to do, it's almost absolutely certain you'll never do it. And if you don't have the key of knowledge, you'll never do it either. And that's the tragedy in the 21st century of the church in the West is it doesn't know what it's called to do. So for goodness sake, don't complain about how bad it is if you're the ones called to change it. 
is add more cursing and increase the problems. We're the salt and the light. Therefore, it's our responsibility to actually make a difference. It's interesting, when I was in uh, City Harvest uh, some years ago, Pastor Kong uh, shared with me how they were crossing over. They were making a decided effort to turn the church out into the community. And uh, his uh, wife, uh, who was pastor's son at that time, she, uh, she resigned from the pastoral role. And they began to, because she's an outstanding worship leader, a beautiful person, lovely singing voice, they began to invest into her to prepare her to go out into the, into the media. And their goal was to get, to get up and get good enough to get on MTV to hit it in America and then through that reach into Asia. You, now, guess where the biggest problems came? Huh? The, the church and the nation. Whoa, whoa, this is all wrong. You understand? The church has got a problem. When a believer rises up, hits the charts, and is making it in Hollywood. Because it can't conceive that that's our destiny. Hollywood, don't complain about Hollywood. Hollywood's a creative gift to the world. It just needs to be redeemed. So don't complain it's gone off. It needs salt and light to change it. See, the problem of the church is just stands back and complains and grizzles and moans and groans and forgets our identity. We're the ambassadors of the kingdom and our message is repent the kingdom of heaven is hand. There's changes and we can help you make them. We're an ambassador to advance God's kingdom. Every believer here can pray for the sick, can pray and set people free, lead people to the Lord, set people free of bondages. If the house full of demons, go in and clean it up. If you don't know what to do, for goodness sake, line up when we train you and do it. The real issue is not the lack of knowledge. I think the real issue is the lack of will. And that brings us up to positioning ourselves under the authority of the Lord. Come on, this is what this is about. I think it's exciting. I think it's absolutely exciting. It's the greatest thing I've ever heard. You know, fantastic. We've got a great thing that we can do. Hey, have a look at this, Matthew chapter 8. Hey, Matthew chapter 8, a bit of move or I'll run out of time. Matthew chapter 8, look at this. And uh, here's a centurion, and uh, chapter 8, and uh, verse 5, uh, where Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came and pleaded with him, Lord, my servant is at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. He said, no, Lord, I'm not worthy you should come under my roof. Only speak a word and my servant will be healed. He said, now... So he says, because I'm a man under authority, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and this one, come, and he comes. He said, say only the world, word, and my servant shall be healed. Isn't that amazing? Here's a man who recognized authority. Why do you recognize authority? Because he himself was a man under authority. He had a commander over him, and he had soldiers under him. He understood chain of command. He said, do this, it'll happen. He looked to Jesus and because he was a man who understood the principles of authority, he looked, he saw Jesus is under authority. He's got power. If he just gives a word, it'll happen. And Jesus said, whoa, what great faith. It takes great faith to trust that the invisible God works through people who represent him. You all know that God does stuff, but actually God works through people. And see, so it takes great faith. It takes, an, it takes something in our heart to understand that authority is always, God's authority is always reflected through people. And that we, how we respond to people, actually recognizing Jesus released the miracle power to go. Recognizing his authority enabled him to operate. When Jesus was not recognized, his authority didn't operate. 
So he was a man under authority. So we see here that, notice this, notice this, that, that religious people will acknowledge God can do something, but they've always got authority issues. And they can never see anything happen. Because if I'm to see something come from heaven, I have to position myself under the authority of God so I can operate in authority. Now, you're going to learn a lot of things in this course, but let me just tell you one thing you need to say. There is a purpose for learning about being under authority. And here's the purpose. It's not just about you being protected. It's much, much more than that. It's about you being able to function like God called you to function. It's about being able to represent God and see God's blessing flow in your life like he intended. How can, how can you do it? You can't operate. See, people say, I've had people say, lay hands on me so I can have double the anointing you have. I say, it's a lot of nonsense. Forget it. I'm not going to do it. And they say, why? I say, well, if I want a double anointing, if I, why would I give you double anointing? I want it myself. Double. I've never heard of such a thing. I said, here's why I won't. I said, because you've got no heart to serve people, and the anointing's always to serve people and advance the kingdom of God. It's not about you having an ego trip. Okay, here's the last thing I'll just share here. Just carry on to Matthew 16 now. And I wanted to show you something else. Now, remember, Peter's got this revelation on the, on the king. He's got the revelation on the kingdom and the church. Now, look at this. He just really misses out big time here because he misses on the nature of the kingdom. Now, notice this. And Jesus said to his disciples, verse 21, he began to, uh, he's going to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. So Jesus began to talk about the future. He said, listen, boys, I'm off to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer. They're going to badly treat me. They'll kill me, but I'll be all right. I'll rise up on the third day. Now, he made it pretty clear. This is what is about to happen. Now, Jesus is responding to his father's will. This is what the will of God is. I go to Jerusalem, I be put to death and rise on the third day. Now immediately, Peter began to take him aside and tell him off. Now here's, here's Peter, who just said, now this is the Lord. Oh, 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 you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then next minute, I said, excuse me. Now I don't want to disturb all the other apostles, but listen, I don't like what you're preaching. Uh, talk, forget this cross stuff. Forget this having to lay your life down stuff. We're having revival here. And it says, this is what he said to him. Now, I'll get this and we'll finish. He said to him, pity yourself. Let this be long way from you. Don't do this in other words. What you should be doing is looking out for yourself. Now, Jesus immediately reacted with an immense confrontation. Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense and a stumbling block to me. What? Now, anyone looked at that and thought, boy, that's pretty tough. He's one of the apostles. Now he's given him a slap like you. Now, that's a big slap, isn't it? Man, that's a big slap. In anyone's terms, that's got to be a big slap. You know, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. You've had Holy Ghost revelation. Next thing, slap, 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 you devil. That's a pretty, pretty big shift. What, what, brought the, what brought the change? Why did nice, gentle Jesus turn into slapping Jesus? Come on, ask yourself what it was. There was something in what Peter said that fundamentally opposed the kingdom of God. And it was this. Peter was wanting to use Jesus and his position to advance himself. Simply he's saying, if you go this cross route, he didn't even hear about the resurrection. So if you go down there to Jerusalem and they kill you and you get put to death, what will happen to the dreams of a kingdom? What will happen to my position? 
What will happen to my ministry? What will happen to me? It's all about me. See, people don't mind acknowledging Jesus as Lord, but you see what they want is a nice, you know, uh, a watered-down Jesus. Uh, uh, You know, a Jesus that's easy to, to take. But actually, Jesus is the Lord, and he calls us to align with his purpose for our lives, not to just take what we like and use them to get what we want. See, that is offensive to any person. You imagine having a relationship with someone and all they want is to use you to get themselves ahead. You can't believe how offensive that is. It's incredibly offensive. That someone we, it, and it's offensive because you are devalued by their selfish motivation. Everyone picks it quite quickly. Now, somehow as Christians, we think, I can use Jesus. Jesus bless this. Jesus bless that. Jesus bless this. Jesus help. Well, listen, what are you doing to align yourself with God's plan in that area? He doesn't just bless your plans because you planned them. He blesses what he initiated through you that's right with his purpose. So he gave him a huge slapping off. Notice here. Now, Jesus himself. So his mentality is preserve yourself, look after yourself, get yourself ahead. Jesus said, listen, if you're going to serve in my kingdom, you've got to understand you have to be a person under authority. You actually don't do what you want you actually act as an ambassador for another person. And sometimes when you act as an ambassador for God, you will lay your life down to the things you like and love and want in order that he can be honored and he in turn will bless and ensure that what you need is met. An amazing thing, see? Jesus wanted to confront him over this issue. You can't serve God and just do your own thing. He said, he said, I'm a man under authority. I don't even do what I want to do. I do what I see the Father showing me to do. I'm a man under authority. Now, if we just finish with this, Jesus himself several times demonstrated he's under authority. Just, I'll just give them out to you just quickly like this. Number one, he was under the authority of his parents. His parents said, son, what are you doing? He said, don't you understand I've got to be here? He said, no, we don't understand. You come with us. And he said he submitted himself and he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He put himself under his parents' authority when they misunderstood him. Second place he put himself under authority was with John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist's messages is a Messiah coming. You know what Jesus did? He came and he got baptized by John. And John said, listen, you should be doing this to me. He said, no, he said, no, I'm going to submit to you because this is the way I walk in righteousness. I'm coming under the anointed ministry of the time and submitting to the authority God gave you. Almost everywhere you find it in the Bible. When Jesus uh, asks a question, listen, do the sons have to pay taxes? No, they own everything. They don't have to pay taxes. He says, that's right. We don't have to pay the tax. But so we don't create unnecessary offense, we'll pay the tax. And he used his power then to bring miraculous provision to come under the authority of the government of his day, the Roman government. You find without exception, Jesus had a huge understanding of authority and the need to be under authority in order to be able to function in the supernatural and bring God's kingdom into the earth. The devil's attempts were always, come on, do your own thing. Just turn this into food. Do this, do this, do this. Take a shortcut. He said, no, I know why I'm here. It's to bring honor to the Father. And he placed himself continually under the Father's authority. Now, we find it easy to do that with God, perhaps, but when it comes to people, we find it more difficult. And the whole course on undercover is about understanding not only does God have authority, but he works that authority through people 
And every time you meet someone who carries authority, whether it be position or in their personal life, you are starting to encounter the authority of God. It's not the man that's the issue. It's that you see beyond it to what God is doing. Listen, do you know someone in the New Testament who had a direct encounter with God? Paul. He had a direct encounter with God's authority. God just off the, off the horse. You know, what, you know what God said to him straight after? He said, I want you to go to this city, and I want you to put yourself under the authority of Ananias, because when he prays for you, you'll get healed. God immediately put him under delegated authority. Now, you can't go anywhere where you don't meet authority, and every time you meet it, your heart attitude towards God and his authority flushes immediately. Over this course, I believe, and I'm praying, that in every part of the church where our attitudes and things aren't right, that it will surface for productive change. See? And you'll, sure, I know you'll be just like Peter. You'll be right in your own mind and own thinking, absolutely persuaded you're right. But I encourage everyone here to be open, let the Holy Ghost change our thinking so we can position ourselves to operate in power. You see, if I teach you and we run seminars, how to move in healing, how to move in deliverance, how to break curses, how to bring blessing, how to release this, how to release that, if we do all of that thing for you, if you do not position yourself right under God, two things happen. One, the power flow doesn't operate right. Two, you set yourself up for demonic attack. And I don't want that. We want to grow to new levels.